Five, four, three, two, one. And welcome again to another episode of Only the Penitent Shall Pass podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth. Alongside me, as always, my good friend, Master John Fellis. Good day. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, you can check out our website at onlythepenitent.com. Any questions, criticisms? We like criticisms. Yeah, we would like to get some hate mail we could answer because the, the Bible says you should rejoice at persecution. You can so. email us at onlythepenitentshallpass at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the episode. We really appreciate everyone who's copied the link and texted it or emailed it to a friend, relative, or neighbor. Today's episode, should Christians get married? Kind of a loaded question right our, our joke before the episode was like should the, yeah probably <laughs> probably um there's so, a there's a caveat to that right so, so we'll get to that so so today's episode well it's it sounds like well of course why, why wouldn't christians want to get married we wanted to explore this this a little bit because there's been quite a dramatic shift in recent decades uh in our culture whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-Christian, an atheist, or you believe in another religion, more and more people are putting off marriage. It's become common to say, well, it's good to get your career in line. It's good to get your education out of the way. And we see this in government statistics that they publish, that more and more people are delaying marriage Oh, it's kind of hard not to notice just from a, taking a general survey of the people you know. Um, and then you can go ask your parents uh, when them and their friends got married, and you'll immediately see the difference. That's how um, dramatic this shift has been, that for most people, this you know they can experience it in their own lives. Yeah, we see this, uh, whether at your school or among your neighborhood, more and more people are putting off marriage. Now, does this mean that more people whether Christian or non-Christian, are delaying having sex, are delaying having relationships, intimate relationships, because they're putting off marriage. Once again, whether we look at statistics put out by the Christian ministry Barna, barna Barna.org, whether we look at non-Christian polls, or whether we just use the eye test, and you just look in your neighborhoods and look amongst, amongst your relatives or friends, it doesn't seem like the majority of people who've put off marriage are remaining chaste, are they? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, and we're, you know, we're not here to, to moralize the issue. If you're listening and you're cohabitating or something like not that, at all. not at yeah, all. Yeah, we're not here to be like your um, your sweet old Catholic grandmother who chides you every every year at Thanksgiving, right? Um, we're actually, you know, we we're hoping to offer you um, a traditional Christian perspective on it, right? And why. Christians traditionally would just get married, right? And they would set aside those other considerations Kenny had mentioned about, you know, worldly affairs, which are important and you should tend to. And they would just get married if they were, if they felt um, uh, what Paul calls a burning, right? A passion, right? So you're referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is talking about 
relationships between husbands and wives and generally sexual behavior. He says specifically, he says uh, that if you are burning, right, if you have, if you're single and you aren't able to, what, control your urges, yes. he says it's good to get married. Why, why do so many Christians uh, seem to not realize that the vast majority of single people seem to be having a difficult time staying chaste in their, who are 19 and 20 in their 20s and early 30s. Most of the people I knew when I was that age who were not married were having sex. Right, yeah. And, and I was surrounded by Christians. Yeah, right. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, this weird sort of phenomena occurs where people in the span of 10 years forget what their adolescence was like. So when they're 30, 40, they completely forget what it was like to be 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and so on. Um, and if they would remember, if they take the time, they'd realize, be like, oh, yeah, well, I wasn't doing that, you know? Um, and then they'd say, oh, wait, I was doing that. I was burning all the time, and so on and so forth. But like I say, in the older generations, they're more likely to get married when they're 21. And when you're, if you're 17 or 18, and you're like, oh, I have to just wait a couple more years, okay, that's maybe doable. But now, I, I think one of the problems is, when you're not going to get married till you're 30, 31, 32, um, most people just can't or won't wait that long. And it's and also you mean wait to have sex. Wait to have sex. Well, I mean, we could really get into this because if um, a lot of people listening, they might think to themselves, well, you know, I, I'm not having sex. And it's like, well, are you watching pornography? Um, I think that would sort of fall under Paul's rubric of burning, right? Well, he, well, let's, let's read it specifically. It's first Corinthians chapter seven, uh, in verse eight, it says to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single. There's nothing wrong with being single. It actually frees you up to serve God, right? That's, yeah. that's what we agree on. Paul continues single. To, it's good for you to remain single as I am, but Paul says, if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And when we see statistics, or when we use the eye test, we know that 90% of all internet use is pornography, right? I mean, that's... And that's not even statistics. Those are just metrics, right? They literally... When this coronavirus crisis that's, happened, that's a really good point. What, what happened to um, I forgot what it's called. What's the number? The Pornhub or whatever the number one site. It literally crashed in Italy. Right? Oh, did it really? I didn't hear that. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> no, somebody. Yeah. No. Find if anyone. Uh, I'm sure there's articles. Um, they couldn't handle like the added traffic, right? Um, and that's sort of what what I you know it seems like. Well, what's what's everyone doing in their homes? during this it, uh, well, crisis. You made a really good point here is that it's this isn't just basically statistics. This is verifiable data because with the internet, they can just type in, right? It, it counts, right? <laughs> it counts. Right. It counts what websites people are going to. And 90%, and this was before Corona. Before Corona, nine out of every 10 people using the internet at any given time was searching some type of pornography. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is not addressed a lot in the church other than they say, oh, don't watch porn, don't have sex. Right, and that's where, 
we a hundred percent agree with that, right? Where yeah, don't have premarital sex. We're not, don't watch we're not, porn. We're not condemning you if you yeah. have premarital sex. We're not condemning you with right, if you right. porn. But we're saying, well, it's not the most edifying to the body to just have to sleep around with many people. Right. Um, it's not all that edifying to the body to watch pornography and there is a solution. The solution right. is get married. Get married. If you're a woman or man who's, who struggles with burning with passion, if you get married, then you have someone that you can release that passion on. Yeah, and this is, you know, what um, why Kenny read this, and we have a few thing, we have a few other here things. Um, it, this is what the Bible tells you to do, right? Um, scripture in this regard doesn't say, "Well, uh, suck it up, Buttercup, and just knock it off," right? And I feel like this is the message you usually hear from most people in the church, or just like, "Well, just stop it." stop it right and they and i think that's because they have forgotten that well for a lot of young men and women that's not possible they don't have that gift from god right so jesus and you know he talks about this he says he who is able to receive this let him receive it well receive what you know this whole notion of celibacy for life right which is a very biblical concept and um some people have a gift from god where they can they, they can get rid of their sexual passions with God's grace and they can go out and just devote every moment of their life to serving God. So if you have that gift and you're thinking like, well, I don't burn, I don't really care about sex. Well, that may be God calling you just to go dedicate your whole life to serving him, right? Um, but, but for the rest of us, what's the solution? Well, and, and I think for a long time in Christendom, there was a misunderstanding that this gift of celibacy that Paul talks about was a very popular gift. Yes, yes. For instance, everyone listening to this broadcast who's ever been to church, you've met a Christian that believes they have the gift of teaching. It's a very predominant gift. Mm -hmm. Many, many Christians are convinced they have the gift of teaching. In the history of the church, it was believed that many, many people are given the gift of celibacy. Unfortunately, as it played out in the 20th century with the Roman Catholic Church, turns out that perhaps all those people that thought they had the gift of celibacy, very few of them had the gift of celibacy. And it came at a great uh, loss. And, and it, it came at a great uh, disaster to the lives of all of the young men and young women whose lives were affected by those evil priests. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not every Catholic priest is evil, but all of those ones that masqueraded as a celibate priest but was really... Um, violating those children <laughs> right and they uh, um, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute tragedy what occurred right and the, so the problem is compounding when you're um forced to be celibate right and i think that's maybe part of the reason part of what's happening there is like well you can't force someone to exercise a gift they don't have right that's just impossible um um and the apostles they even questioned jesus they're like this is a, i think this is one of the places where they think this is a really hard teaching his teachings on marriage right because jesus also teaches um you're not allowed to get divorced and remarried these are this is the words of christ himself right so again if you have been divorced or remarried we're not judging you we're just trying to point everyone to the scripture right these are opinions that these are truths that we receive from scripture in the tradition of the church right these aren't things that we just sort of came up with. Right? So let's step back for a moment Please. before we get too too deep theologically. One of the common arguments in defense of not marrying when you're younger is you need to financially set yourself up. 
you need to finish college, you need to get your career going. Once you do those things, uh, once you have a house, then maybe you should look at getting married. Now, without saying that way, um, that philosophy is wrong, what we're able to do is to look at that philosophy and say, well, that philosophy hasn't worked because right. the vast majority of people practicing that philosophy have n not been able to stay chaste. Mm -hmm. They have all fallen into sexual relationships, many of them with multiple people. Yeah, right. And of, and of course, we're, as you know, we're mostly just speaking to Christians here, right? Maybe there's some psychological benefit for a non-Christian and not sleeping around too much. Um, but we're just trying to say, well, what is God calling us to, right, as Christians? And so if you're a young person and you're burning, um, it seems like Scripture's calling you to get married, right? Um, but why do, why do young people look down on marriage? Because the typical young person, you've taught at a school, uh, you've dealt with high school students, I've taught in a variety of platforms dealing with all sorts of young people. And so many of them have a hostility towards marriage. Yeah. Why is that? Um, well, I think you already... I, I mean, you know, maybe they sort of sense this, that there's a decay of this institution of marriage, right? I mean, so that would be one of the things. And a lot of people, they'll say that. It's like, well, marriage doesn't work. Because so many people get like divorced. That. Well, right. And I mean, that's sort of the thing. Like when my wife and I, we got married, we both decided like uh, divorce is a sort of dirty word, right? It's like the F word or something. Like you just don't say it because as Christians, that's not permissible for us. We're not allowed to get divorced. And I think for many, many years, people would enter marriage thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, I can always get divorced. And then, so yeah, so it is sort of true that after 30, 40, 50, 60 years, however long this has been going on, a young person looks at the state of marriage. They maybe look at their own personal experience and their own family, and they say, yeah, this isn't a good idea, right? Um, but we also have to remember marriage is something that God himself will bless. And if we're seeking God's help, we're not going to have the same problems as those who weren't necessarily seeking God's help, right? Or weren't keeping to the letter of scripture the the church hasn't commented a ton in recent years on young people marrying whether it's presbyterianism or roman catholicism i haven't heard a ton of ministers theologians encouraging young people to get married i i don't think that, yeah i don't know if i've ever heard that in person mm -hmm. maybe i've heard it online or something but um yeah, I don't think I've ever heard that. I don't think this is something... I think this particular teaching of Paul, right, um, is is lost to the church at the moment, right? I think maybe the first time I heard it was when you told me it 12 years ago or something when I was a young man. And I'm like, well, that sounds weird, Kenny. You know, right? Because it's so, it's so foreign to the way we've been taught to think about this. And I think this is another example of we as a church have adopted a secular outlook on something We've adopted a secular outlook on something, but we don't even know that we've done that. Yeah, the, the church has largely remained silent. I wonder if it's because they don't want to offend the plethora of families who have 
sort of bought into this philosophy that you need to finish school, get your job or career started, get into a house, and then consider marriage. And as I pointed out, I'm not condemning that philosophy. I'm merely pointing out that the philosophy hasn't worked. Now, if, if, if me observing that the philosophy doesn't work is, is a condemnation, I apologize because it's not my intention to, because perhaps some people are called to do that. So maybe, perhaps there are some people out there called to remain chaste for a decade into adulthood uh, and, and pursue their career, but for the vast majority of young people in their 20s, they're just not remaining chaste. So that, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. That philosophy is not working. Also, if we want to step back and just for a moment delve into the psychological view, we know <laughs> through secularism and through Christian observation in the church, many, many Christians discuss this topic I'm about to, about to bring up. The majority of people aren't actually satisfied in their career. Any time that someone does a poll, any time that people go out and ask Christians and non-Christians, does your career satisfy you? Is this what you want to do the rest of your life? Seven to nine, 90%, 70 to 90% always say, no, my career doesn't really satisfy me. It, it's, it's astounding. So, so much focus in our culture is put on this career, and yet it doesn't bring ultimate satisfaction. That's not to say marriage brings ultimate satisfaction either. The only thing that truly satiates the soul is a relationship with Christ. My point, though, is that by focusing on career in this way, it seems to be having a detrimental effect on young people, whether it's out-of-wedlock birth, whether it's women who've, and men who've had numerous sexual partners and get into their 30s and feel feel profound loss right and that seems to be i mean in my experience that seems to be the majority of people christian or non-christian and that's why this is such a, a big issue and it's surprising more people don't raise it right and there is a sense where you can have a holistic approach where yeah um you do have to find a career you have to make a living right um but in the past it was done in a less individualistic way, right? Um, many, many people from what I understand in the 50s and 60s, they were married while they were at college because I think they were there for an education and they wouldn't think like, oh, this will detract from my college experience. Well, for those of you who, had, who you know, went to college, especially went to a state school, what does that college experience um, include, right? Does it include lots and lots of drinking and lots and lots and lots of promiscuous sex right um and that's just my point my point is not um to more again to moralize and to say hey you know you're bad stop it or something my point is like okay well let's think about this in a christianly way right and let's not as we raise our kids let's not make the same mistakes right um and just kind of put them in the belly of the beast there and say oh don't you sin don't you sin, don't you do it, you know? Well, I mean, it's, it's an overwhelming force, right? God is not going to necessarily just give you the grace in every single situation to withstand temptation when he's already given you the wisdom 
to remove that temptation in the first place. Uh, a number of years ago, a good friend of mine was attending a Baptist church, and the friend was sharing with me privately. I, I didn't attend that, that Baptist church, but uh, he was telling me privately that he was struggling with pornography, to which I said, well, maybe you should talk to your pastor and maybe you should get married. <laughs> if you struggle with pornography, go get married. He, he was single. So he went and talked to his pastor and he told his pastor, I'm struggling with pornography. And the pastor said, well, the first thing I think you need to do is stop taking communion with us uh, until you are completely chaste and not, um, not uh, using any pornography. My friend said, well, but none of the other young men at the church, and it was a really large Baptist church, they're all still taking communion. And, and the pastor says, well, what do you mean? And my friend said, well, undoubtedly, the majority of them are watching pornography. Don't you believe that? And the pastor was very candid, and the pastor said, yeah, I believe the majority of them are watching porn, but they haven't come to me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and, that's quite a story. Yeah, and, and so my friend was really perplexed, because now he thought he was being unfairly uh, picked out because he confessed his sin to the pastor, and because the other met young men in the church didn't confess their sin, they were getting away scot-free. And it it seems as though the larger principle, no matter what denomination or church we're discussing, it's it's kind of the issue of sexuality, pornography, uh, being chased, more or less, the nitty-gritty of it is just not discussed, so the church doesn't have to deal with it. In other words, well, if young men don't come to the minister or pastor, if the young women don't tell the minister or pastor they're they're struggling with their with having sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, uh, then the church doesn't have to respond to the issue. Mm -hmm. But we all know this is what's going on. Do Dr. Sproul, who I mentioned quite often because his ministry played a big role in my theological growth as a teenager. He, he was bold enough to say it's practically a modern miracle for someone to be a virgin when they're married these days. <laughs> yeah. So, so we sit here and our remedy, John and I, through our conversation is, well, since we both have two eyes and we see things as they are in front of us, this is not, we don't have to have, uh, we don't have to, to, to practice divination to see this one. We don't need a, a mysterious prophetic word from God to see this one. It's, it's plain as day. The vast majority of young adults are having sex. They have multiple partners before they're married. And our remedy is, well, shouldn't pastors, priests, ministers, elders, deacons, shouldn't they tell these young people, you need to get married, right? I mean, I what's so, so difficult about this? Uh, why is what we're, <laughs> why yeah, is what right? we're saying so controversial? Yeah, it is. Um, well, like I said, when you first told me this, I'm like, oh, that's interesting or something. Um, when I, you know, when I was probably 18 at the time or something, uh, I think it's just, I, I don't know, maybe a lot of it has to do with finding somebody, right? So even a lot of men, once they accept this, they're like, who am I going to marry? And it's hard for us to realize that we all didn't have the sort of uh, rom-com version of love in our heads, you know, throughout all of history, right? So now we think we have to find that special someone, that one person who completes us, right? We're all looking for this sort of 
miraculous chance occurrence of this this lover coming about um people in the past it seems like they would just find someone who's going to be a good wife or a good husband you know and i'm sure they would sure you know uh, i mean i think they're pretty or handsome i'm attracted to them i'm sure those things were always considered of course too and then they would get married right and they wouldn't spend two or three years um planning the wedding right and putting it together um it's something that could, you know, happen in a year, in, a, in six months or so. It seems like there's something about our culture, which is just constantly guiding us towards this philosophy of marriage. Um, and so we don't have to reject every facet of it. We don't have to say, well, yeah, if, you, if, if somebody disgusts you, don't marry them just so you'll stop earning or something, right? We're not saying that. Um, but at least let's as Christians have the conversation like, how can we reform the church so we um, get over this this problem that everybody is struggling with, right? Um, yeah, it's it's the subject of sex. It, it's a strange subject because outside of the church, whether you're standing in the line at a grocery store and there's sex all over the magazines there, whether you open your phone and you're inundated with all sorts of sexual images through just basic news apps now right yeah. you don't even have to seek out porn but sexuality is thrown at you just through daily news uh, or whether it's pornography or whether it's billboards the world unabashedly is talking about sex all the time and the church is largely silent other than to say don't do that don't do that don't do that we're suggesting that young people need a larger dialogue a deeper dialogue than simply telling them don't do that they need to be to 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 hear that your job is really not going to fulfill you ultimately it's christ and if you burn with passion the solution is given to us by God. The solution is go ahead and get married. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. I mean, um, and it's strange because there's nothing about getting married that stops you from seeking a career. Not Nothing at all, right? Right. Like I said, a lot of people they used to get married in college and they would just have an apartment on campus together and they would go to their classes, right? Um, this was a very common thing before we've adopted this let's wait till we're in our 30s policy of, of getting married um in the 1980s george gilder wrote a book um i think it's titled men and marriage yeah it's right there on my shelf and he was arguing 30 years ago that against the same thing we're arguing against this concept of putting off marriage and and that marriage is archaic and we don't need it and he was arguing from a secular po politically political philosophy angle that marriage helps men it doesn't just calm them down it doesn't help them just give them a release in their in their their sexuality but it also helps them become greater men it helps further their career he he had noticed something that's very obvious that married men succeed far more in a variety of circumstances in life than single men simply because now they have to support a family right yeah like what if you're a single man um some men they really 
some men are very materialistic where they do they they you know they'll like oh i just want to buy a big house and get a fast car um I, I don't know if that's the case with the majority of men so i think the majority of men they're kind of thinking like well if i don't have anyone to take care of i can just live however i want right and um you know for some people okay um maybe that's not as bad maybe like we, we've said well maybe they're not living how they want but they're seeking out ways to serve the lord but for the vast majority of men not being married tends to degrade them um that this has just been been my experience um so this is maybe even more controversial or something um but yeah i mean a lot of this it's about the family and it seems like in most conservative dialogue, we've sort, the conservative side has sort of given up. It's like, oh, the family's lost. And it's like, well, okay, if you're politically conservative, maybe that's an option or something. Where it's like, no, we're all Ayn Rand libertarians now. Okay. Um, but if you're a Christian, um, we, we can't really give up. We kind of have to be continually thinking through and trying to live this out. It's like, okay, well, the Bible's a very, well, we'd say pro-family book. So how do we, as Christians, get back to a culture where it's like, yes, one of the most important things in our worldview is the family. The interesting thing is that the church is so, the, the, the majority of churches, it seems, have be, well, I shouldn't say majority, but quite a few churches have become commuter churches. I, I see this all across the United States where people don't really live in community with each other. And... I think when you live in community, when you live closer to each other, it makes marriage and parenting easier. So if we go back to the first century, at the time of the, the Christians, uh, the apostles, it, a young woman could get married at 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. She could have three, four, five children. She had this built-in network of help. Mm -hmm. And so now, if you're a part of a commuter church, and you get married young and you have three, four, five kids, well, you don't usually live right near your brothers and sisters at church who can help you care for those children. And having three, four kids is a, that's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of work. And historically, the pagans understood that young families needed help. Well, that's what Jesus is always saying. He's saying, well, if you take care of your brother, you love your brother. Well, the pagans do that. That's right? right. So this is why the Christian principle goes beyond the pagan and says, love your neighbor. And I think a lot... Love so, those who dwell near you. Yeah, so where I'm going with it is it seems like a lot of young people feel all alone. And they would think, well, if I were to get married now, and if we had three or four children, how are we going to how are we going to take care of these kids? I'm, I'm not set in my career. Uh, there's no one to help care for the kids. I mean, I can't leave my wife there for eight hours with four kids under the age of five it's gonna exhaust her she needs help she needs breaks there's no one from church anywhere nearby the church is 45 minutes away so it seems as though there's these elements of America that we're living in that are actually making it difficult to get married young right and I guess where we seem to agree so um, is that the church this this has come to be the case because the church is kind of just sort of going along with the stream of culture. So there's these two sources, like St. Augustine says, well, some things come from God, some things come from man. 
right? The city of God versus the city of man. Um, and a lot of what Kenny just described, it may be that this is of a humanly origin, right? So you're like, yeah, let's all not live in community. Let's not live by our brothers and sisters of Christ. Let's not even have that as a thought. Like, oh, maybe I should live by people that have come in the church, right? Um, when, when Pastor Poli was alive, he would often say, the only institution that exists on earth solely for the family is is the church he said and he would talk and he was he was a uh, a licensed social worker as well as a pastor for 50 years and he believed that the church was the only institution that could truly truly help the totality of a family the, the church exists for children the church exists for parents the church exists for husbands and wives because Paul lays down this theology for us. Paul says, let the older women teach the younger women, right? Let, he, he gives us this, this outline of mentoring and discipleship in, in his letters, in his epistles. And so the church in our day, however, doesn't seem to be offering young people the kind of totality or holistic help they need in getting married young, helping out when they have children, offering free babysitting, helping young men get careers. Sometimes the church does these things, and and in your case, you know, some good Christian men, ministers, even helped point you in the direction of getting a job and a career. Yeah. So I'm not denigrating the whole shebang here, but when it comes to family life, I think a lot of young people that I've talked to feel like they're all on their own. And right. if they were to get married and have children, they, they, they've told me, well, who's, who's going to help? We can't do all this on our own. And they feel as though the church isn't really there for them. Right. And when you say the church, you don't just mean the, um, the people in charge. We're talking about the body of Christ here. So this Correct. is... Um, so we all have a role to play and we're all supposed to be living as brothers and sisters, right? Um, and so maybe that's another part of it is like when Kenny says the church, I feel like there's two ideas in my head. One is this, um, you know, infrastructure of the church, a hierarchy, you know, maybe some parish employees or something. Um, but then there's spirituality, which we are the body of Christ and we're supposed to be giving up our lives and helping one another the best we can. Right. So, of course, this is an ideal and it's something that we have to strive for every single day. As I developed my philosophy of culture over the last 25 years, it was trying to understand American culture and the negative impacts it was having on Christians, Christian individuals, Christian couples. And this phenomenon of commuterism church, while it's a blessing in that it allows people who don't live near church fellowship to come and worship regularly. There are drawbacks to it. And I don't know that the church has figured out, no matter the denomination, how to be the body of Christ for young adults. I don't think they know what to do. I think they feel overwhelmed. Well, it's a lot of, it's really difficult because I feel like you know, we're not telling anyone what they have to do, but I'm just trying to like follow the arguments we've been making through your logical conclusion. The church would have to ask people to sacrifice. 
So we have this sort of, we'd have to sacrifice our sort of individualistic sort of notion of what our lives are, where it's like, oh, I want to live where I want to live. It's like, well, your idea sounds good, but I have to find the absolutely perfect spouse. And then we have to spend two years planning the wedding. Um, and, you know, who can really wait two years at that point or something, right? So it's not like we're not going to be sleeping together and so on. And you see how these things sort of snowball. And I guess the, the point would be that what we're saying is probably difficult, right? Um, you may have to sacrifice something, um, but in the long run, it will be worth it, right? God, um, he really does reward for sacrifice. The There's a problematic verse many people have had in, uh, in one of Paul's letter letters where he writes, it, it, it all, in some ways it almost seems like an offhanded comment that women shall be saved in childbirth. And I've read, I've, on my shelves, I'm looking at so many different commentaries I have on, on, that, uh, on that letter of Paul's and what Paul could possibly mean by that. Without getting lost in, in the controversies theologically, we want to come at this from sort of a, a general discussion format. I think we both agree, and I think most Christians agree, that one of the roles of Christians in the world is to have children. It's, it's a blessed thing. Um, David says, you know, blessed is the man whose quiver is full regarding having children. And in our culture, however, uh, having children is not looked at as a blessing. It's often looked at as the opposite. Well, yeah, I mean, what I've realized is since so many people are having sex before marriage, um, children are a sort of terror or something. And... Um, a lot of women are constantly worried about being pregnant. And this is sort of flipping the biblical notion of children on its head, right? Where it's like, no, this is a blessing, right? All throughout scripture, there's stories of women who are barren and the biggest blessing they have is God, quote, opening their womb and giving them children, right? Um, and, so and I'm not saying we have to have, you have to have seven kids or something, um, but like, no, please go on. Go on. Well, and, and so I, I think, unfortunately, I, I guess what I'll call it is like radical conservatives in the church have sort of um, muddied the dialogue about women getting married in that there's this there's this prototype that radical conservatives push that women should be, uh, what is it, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Right? Sure, sure. Which is which is not a reality in history this isn't that isn't that isn't the reality it's it's throughout the ages women often had jobs women worked they didn't just work at home the wealthier families the women were literally ruling over when i say a household they had hundreds of employees yeah i mean <laughs> sometimes a woman would be a manager of a household and that would basically be the equivalent out of a uh, you know, a hundred million dollar business and in our I, time. I, or I have histories of ancient Egypt while the Jews were in captivity, where women actually were working at vocations outside. Uh, when they, um, I'm sorry, post the the Egyptian captivity, uh, where Egyptian uh, Israeli women were working in jobs and vocations away from the house. So we're not saying it's wrong for women to have jobs and work outside the house. But what we are saying is women, Christian women, uh, who are married, uh, f f 
will find a blessing in having children. Yes. And and for the women that and and, and the couples that believe the their the woman should should work. There's nothing wrong with that. The church should sort of envelop them and help them financially or help them get careers or whatever that help them work it out, right? right. So they yeah. can have children. Mm -hmm. The couple shouldn't be on their own. <laughs> I mean, I've talked to so many, I guess what I'm trying to say is I've talked to so many young couples where Christian couples who don't have children or in their 30s who tell me, well, we both have to work or we can't pay the bills. And I'm sitting there, I'm saying, well, I think the church the pastors, their their counselors need to step in and, and have a dialogue and say, well, what, what can we do here? How can we help you so you don't feel so overburdened with your bills? Is there a sense though where the church thinks that's not their business or something? I think too many churches think the role of the church is to have a Sunday worship. Right. But when we when you read the epistles of Paul, this is this is being the body of Christ is way more than that. Mm -hmm. It's it's about the whole of the believer. It doesn't mean the church orders young adults and tells them you have to do this or else, but the church should have a dialogue with people. That's why we're having this dialogue. Yes, yes. Is these are the conversations. We're not offering the solutions. We don't know what all the solutions are, but we're suggesting that this is a dialogue that needs to begin happening more often. Right. We're just trying to sort of set forth principles that, like I said, we believe aren't our own principles, but that we've discovered in scripture and from the holy men of the church and their writings. Um, so if anyone's listening, it's like, ah, you're misinterpreting that. Well, there's a good point we could have a discussion on. Right. right. That's yeah. right. Unfortunately, we've reached the end of this week's episode. Perhaps we'll pick this up again in the future. Thank you so much for listening to Only the Penitent Shall Pass podcast. Until next time.